open as we'll be referring to that again through the course of this morning's message as we consider the arrival of the Prince of Peace. What does it mean that Jesus came to his people? Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we hear it proclaimed this morning. Our Lord and our God, as we hear your word, we're thankful that we can rejoice in the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a triumph, and we recognize that, and we are to rejoice in that. And yet it was uh, uh, not understood or, or accepted by so many in Jerusalem, and, and this caused Jesus to lament the fact that they didn't know their time of visitation. Lord, let it be true of us that we know our time. We know when you come to us with your word, with the Son, to make known to us the peace that is found through his work. So bless us with the presence of your Spirit so that we may hear and believe and rejoice in what you have accomplished for us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, last week we looked at, at the work of Jesus as, with Zacchaeus, that, that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to, to reconcile enemies to God. And Jesus does this, and our text this morning reflects the fact that, that long before he ever accomplished anything, God had prophesied through Zechariah the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 9 through 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. He is coming to fulfill the word of God. He's coming to be the yes and amen of all of God's promises that he had made known to us. He's causing all people to break forth in joy and adoration. The children and the crowds are, are crying out, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they see and they're astounded at the coming of Jesus. And, and Luke ties it together with, with, because of all the works that he had done, they were aware of that. It's like a victory parade. And yet the battle hasn't even been fought. And God's word reveals to us that that. Well, we need to get caught up. If, if we would keep silent, the rocks would cry out. We need to get caught up with the praise. We need to recognize that God's Word also teaches us that Jesus' triumphal entry is still intensifying His suffering. Luke records that it's not all smiling faces and photo opportunities at His arrival because as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, He weeps. Imagine that. All the crowds are, are rendering praise and thanksgiving to all oh, the wonderful reality that the King is coming. But Jesus weeps because there's so much confusion. Confusion about His mission. Confusion about His method. People of God, he, he, he doesn't want us to hold back from rejoicing. The Pharisees did. And Jesus rebuked them. 
We know that Good Friday is coming and Resurrection Sunday. And we're tempted to, to allow those realities of what Jesus had to suffer to, to dampen our enthusiasm and our joy with regard to the coming of Christ. But Jesus says, oh no, praise me. Praise the fact that Jesus has come. God ordains that we should know what the arrival of the Prince of Peace means. What does it mean for you that the Prince of Peace has come? Does that, is that something that, that causes your heart to rejoice and, and to be glad? Don't confuse His mission and His method. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as God's Word unfolds for us. How, how Christ came to fulfill all of God's Word and particularly Zechariah 9 as He comes as the Prince of Peace. So we need to understand His mission and his method. We need, we need God's word as the, the lens to guide us in our understanding of Jesus' mission and method as the Prince of Peace. First of all, his mission. Jesus comes with a very specific purpose. He comes to secure peace. But what sort of peace is that? There are different kinds of peace. There's political peace. Political peace are, are, are those who are savvy with regard to what the people want. It's an understanding of the system of government. It's the understanding of, of how to get things accomplished. At, at this time in which Jesus came to Jerusalem and in the time in which he, he ministered here on earth, it was a time when Rome was in control and peace with Rome was something that was given to those who were strongest those in power could get done what they wanted. And it was a political system where might made right. And God's people, as they, they celebrate the coming of Jesus, they, they get caught up with this, with this notion, here is their king, he's coming to set them free. But then Jesus surrenders to Herod and Pilate. We have a different form of politics today. It's not might makes right. It's popularity makes right. God's people can quickly get caught up with this as well. And that's the sort of peace we're looking for. That's the sort of peace we're longing for. A peace with an ability to influence people. The peace of Christ with an ability to gain popularity and acceptance and regard by the people. Peace and harmony are popular political ideas today. But at the cost of the Prince of Peace. Because it's peace and harmony without Christ. Without His rule. Without His word. Without His gospel. 
And here with regard to the mission of Jesus, we need to recognize that many will praise Jesus when he appears like their superhero. Like one who's able to influence people. Like a do-gooder who is able to, to win people over with his love. Like one who is in control and keep us safe from hostility. One who can get things done. One who can overthrow hatred and hostility. And God's people longed for that. And, and God had promised that with regard to the time in which they were living in Zechariah. Here is the one who on Hamath and Tyre and Sidon, these were, these were the enemies of Israel all around. But that's not his mission. That's not his peace. But then when we reflect on the arrival of the Prince of Peace, there's something else that strikes just a little closer to home, and that is a religious peace. It's a privatized religion that seeks to survive by silence. The Pharisees who rebuke Jesus have a great concern about this sort of peace. They've worked hard. They've worked hard in this time. They've worked hard. They were the minority party. They were, they were zealous for the law. They had, they had a tradition about how things should be accomplished. They have a great concern for this sort of peace. They, they'd worked hard to, to maintain their traditions without compromise with the rule of Rome. Jesus be careful. You may compromise the relationship with Rome. You know how it is with those who are in control. If you, you suggest that you're the king who has come to overthrow such dominion, we'll lose our religion. Jesus, keep your disciples quiet. Keep your kingship contained. Let your mission happen but silently. According to our conditions. According to our control. And then there will be peace. But that is not Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission isn't according to people's desires people's wants, people's ways. Jesus' mission was a very specific peace, a specific mission, a substantial peace, a peace between you and me and the crowds who followed, who were all sinners, who had all transgressed the law, who were all guilty before God. 
A peace that people often ignore and despise because that has to do with many years down the road. It has to do when they die or when bad things happen that they, they need a God who will help them out. But this is a peace that is, that is so significant and so important. It's the, the heartbeat of our existence. A relationship with a holy God. Behold your King, just, righteous, perfect, holy, and endowed with salvation for you who are not righteous, for you who are guilty, for you who know your shame, for you who know your violation of God's Word, for you who who can sing perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, Behold, your king, the prince of peace, comes. Here is his mission. He came to satisfy justice. To deal with your sin for what it really is. An offense against a pure and powerful God. Peace by the Passover lamb who takes away Sin. Behold your king and his mission. Your king, not standing ten feet tall as a superhero. Not a super saint with, a, with an incredibly privatized personal relationship. But humble. Openly. Riding. Not on a war horse but on a colt, the foal of a donkey, to establish peace with an offended God. His mission is that He's coming to you. To you. Isn't that amazing? With every world leader, You need some sort of special security clearance to to gain access. But not with this king. Not with this prince. Not with this wonderful counselor. He comes to you. He dwells among sinners. He goes to his enemies and reconciles you. Behold, Observe, pay attention, don't ignore your king who is coming to you. That's his mission. But then his method. What makes his mission so extraordinary is precisely how how contrary his method seems to common sense. It is, after all, something that that God specially reveals. If if God hadn't made it known to us in His Word, we wouldn't get it from the world. We we wouldn't understand it in any other way. But but God has... This is what makes God's Word so special. It is special revelation. It's designed to to make known to us things that that we could never understand, things that we could never come to reason to or, or, or obtain from creation. 
This is the privilege of having God's word. And Zechariah is prophesying now to a remnant, a remnant that has been restored to Jerusalem, but, but they're weak and they're vulnerable. And there's, there's nations that are surrounding them who are hostile. They just you Think of Nehemiah and Tobiah and Sanballat when they're, they're rebuilding Jerusalem and the wall. They're, they're telling all manner of lies and, and they're, they're having to, to rebuild the wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other because their enemies are, are deriding and attacking the work of God. And notice what God says to them. I'm going to cut off the chariot. I'm going to remove the horses from Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't make sense. You're going to weaken us? Deprive us of what we think we need to survive and to stand against the attacks of the enemy? The method of the king is to be this. It is to destroy. To destroy those things that are so tempting for us to rely on. You see that in verse 10? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Those are, those are methods, those are instruments that, that we think are, are instruments that, that will secure peace with the nations. And, and this isn't going to diminish his peace. This is actually going to enhance his peace. And he shall speak peace to the nations. And we're somewhat doubtful. For Israel to hear that a king is coming, their frame of reference, their way of understanding this would be to think of someone like David or someone like Solomon. Imagine the restoration of the former rule of David, defeating the enemies, the man of God who was equipped with the sword, who could go up and kill people like Goliath with a sling and a stone, who was willing to march and to attack. Or Solomon with the peace and the proliferation that he offered. Oh, the dreams and the frame. The glory days of Israel, they're coming back again. You can imagine them thinking about this. Maybe we think about that. Oh, if we could just get back to the Reformation again. Oh, if we could just get back to, to the way things were when we were children or young adults. And we look back and we, we dream of those glory days. They were so much better back then. God says, no. No. That's not the king's method. I will cut off the chariot, the war horse, the battle bow. I'm going to destroy it all. Your peace doesn't come in relying on your method. He shall speak peace to the nations. He's going to use his word to reconcile enemies and to remove hostilities. I think Israel and I think we would be a bit skeptical about that. 
What is ever accomplished with words? Diplomacy based on words seems so weak, so vulnerable. We need power. We need action. Sometimes when, when our words seem weak, we, we invoke threats of retaliation. And that's how we're going to get peace. Words are weak because promises are, are made to be broken. Peace by speaking seems doubtful. But how quickly we forget that God's Word has the power to create the world. Has the power to control everything we have around us. God's Word has the power to save sinners. And the Prince, when he speaks, will bring peace through the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's his method. To use the word of the gospel, to use the proclamation of the gospel, to bring peace. Paul recognized this as he writes to Rome, as he sits in prison anticipating going to Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the king's method. To proclaim peace to the nations. And in this way, through his proclamation, he makes known throughout the world his dominion from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. And how wonderfully we are equipped for that. God refits his people He retools the army of Israel. He reconfigures our armaments and our activity. Verse 13, For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. Again, the anticipation of of the Greek empire, Alexander and all, and wield you like a warrior's sword. These are images of the way his word works. And the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them. He will show, he sh- they shall devour and tread down the sling stones and they shall drink and roar to be confident in the word of the Lord that he will accomplish his task. It includes this very profound Proclamation, as for you also because of the blood of the covenant with you. Ah, the blood of the covenant has been shed once and for all. This is something that is able to make the foulest sinner clean. That's his method. That's the method of the Prince of Peace. 
to proclaim in heaven on earth as the angels did at his birth and as Luke so beautifully incorporates into his, his reflection of this story. All the crowds were recognizing this and they were taking up that chorus of the angels. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Praise for this prince of peace. That's his method. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. His mission and his method continues today. Does that swell your heart with joy and praise? Without Christ as our King, we will not have peace. Without Christ as our Savior, we will not have peace. The world moves on and says, we can have peace, we can have harmony if we follow their paths. If we be private about our King. And today, we're called. No. Well, that's what the world wants. Let us with the crowds praise the Prince of Peace. The Prince has come. His mission and His method is for us to praise Him. He weeps. He weeps because His people don't understand His mission. Do you realize what it takes for you to have peace with God? Not a superhero, but a Savior, a servant who comes to you just, righteous, and having salvation. The peace that he secures. And that is a method that continues today for us to bear the light of the gospel to the, all those around us and to say, here is the Prince of Peace. Our privilege, our calling, as those redeemed, saved by the King, is to be a disciple, a follower, a servant of Christ, an heir with all the privileges of the inheritance of His kingdom. And to praise the King for His arrival, to understand his mission, and to trust, to trust his method, to say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. As it shows sin and makes known that there is salvation only 
in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Because the Prince of Peace has come. Amen. Let's pray together.